turn away from that. We're going to boldly leave that in the past and focus on walking forward. So we boldly break away from the past. We leave the past in the past and we boldly look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, whose blood speaks a better word, all those words, forgiveness, reconciliation, acceptance, salvation, and we boldly live the life that we were made so that we can leave church and go out of the building that we call church and carry on being the church, the people, and we can be bold in our faith. We're told in the Word in this passage today that we've got a bold faith, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. And if you think about it, it just makes us a room full of horses. Now, uh, before you leave and uh, claim that I've offended your delicate sensibilities, uh, stay with me, and there's a, a sugar cube or a carrot for you in the back uh, as you leave as well. But uh, <laughs> if you think about it, uh, horses are a great example of boldness, of power, but used very well. Uh, boldness and power under control. And once you've taught a horse uh, what is good and what's not good, what's alright and what's not alright, good horses don't need much correction, do they? Um, let me let me show you what I mean. There's a picture of uh, our oldest boy, Roman. Uh, this is about uh, pretty much exactly two years ago. Uh, this is January 2018. So he was not even three years old. I thought I might get him. Oh, I know he's very beautiful. I know. But there he is. He's very small, and he stands up with his horse. That's a regular-sized man next to the horse. Uh, and this horse is probably a good one foot above this man's head. So there's Roman, eight feet up in the air, this tiny little boy uh, riding this massive, probably the biggest horse that the world has ever seen. Uh, a hugely, pow hugely powerful thing. We've seen it running, we've seen it jumping. But yeah, here's tiny little Roman, a tiny little tug on the reins, and this thing goes exactly where it needs to go. And they say, don't they, that a picture paints a thousand words, um, so I'm going to show you a little video of Roman riding this horse. Uh, it's only a minute long, uh, so bear with me. We're going to mute the sound because you can hear me and Bradley chatting about what, how cool this horse is, and you can hear me telling him to wave and then hold on and then wave and then hold on, which is not a great parenting moment for me. But, um, but here he is riding this horse a couple of years ago. You can see this horse is the world's biggest horse. 
with the world's most beautiful violin. because the regular sized man is, is, is leading the horse, but, and it's good to have in the kids' church this morning, because in a minute the regular sized man is going to let go, and the world's biggest horse is now under the control of the world's most beautiful boy. jokes aside, the point there is that there's a hugely powerful animal, jumps, runs, pulls, all the things that horses do, and it's got all this boldness, all this power, but it's under control, and this is what Jesus talks about when he talks about, uh, when he said, blessed are the meek, it's the power that's inside us, but it's correctly channeled, it's having a gentle yet bold spirit, and it's the opposite to being uh, self-involved, I mean self-interest. It comes from trusting God's goodness and his control. And all that power, all that boldness uh, in, a, in, a, in a wild horse. We'll go back a minute, Bradley, we'll look at that horse again. Uh, go back to that picture. All that, that, that energy, that power in that huge horse is great if it's running free, running wild. Uh, but the horse can jump higher can run faster, and just be generally more effective when it's channeled and used in the correct way. Is he with me? So, and that's exactly what uh, this passage today is going to teach us. Uh, We're now prepared to run, to endure, to grow, and now we need a bit of boldness to go out and do it, but in the lines that we're given to work within. And so when we come to church, this context that we're in, where we come to run, to endure, to grow, we're surrounded by people, aren't we, who want to run with us, we want to endure alongside us and want to challenge us to grow. We want to be challenged by us to grow. So we come here, we're in this context together, we're living with God's word as the ultimate authority in our lives, and we're empowered, we read, don't we, with not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So this boldness that we've got is a real thing, it's a tangible thing, but we use it in the lines. As the horse is told where to go, how to go, so are we. We're filled with this boldness and this power, but we're very clearly directed how and where we should use it. So, today then, Hebrews 12, 12 to 24, and we see what do we do with our boldness? We're running, we're enduring, we're growing, we've got this bold, strong faith. What do we do? What do we do with it? Where do we deploy our boldness, so to speak? So we've learned lots of stuff from Hebrews. It's a book that teaches us lots of stuff. Uh, Chapters 1 through 9 in particular, maybe 1 through 10. Uh, Lots of stuff to learn, lots of stuff to know about. And then in chapter 11 we saw... Uh, all that stuff in, in other people's lives, exampled in other people's lives. Now it's our turn. What do we, what do we boldly do with our faith? So uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, let's open them up to Hebrews 12, if you've not done already. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read again together verses 12 through to verse 17. We're going to be bold, and we're going to look out. So Hebrews 12, 12, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone 
and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So, what do we do now? We Last week we were prepared, we're prepared to run, to endure, to grow. What do we do? Now we're prepared, we lift our drooping hands, and this talks about reinvigorating your life of faith. Uh, strengthen your weak knees is the same, making straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This idea comes from Isaiah chapter 35, lift your drooping hand, and it's got the idea of some fresh strength, getting a second wind almost, refreshing yourself in your faith, and being bold in your struggles, meeting them, meeting these challenges head on. Be bold and active. These are active processes that we do, uh, we choose to do. This is not going to happen to us. Uh, we've been given some big reasons to be strong in the Lord, haven't we, in Hebrews chapters 1 through 9, and to put off the discouragement that the world is going to throw at us. But now it's the time for us to, to do it. So we are, as we read, going to lift our drooping hands, strengthen our weak knees. And it's the time for us to do something about this. We know, don't we, that when we, when we talk about something, when we give the outward appearance of something, it can be a very different story to what's actually going on inside and what you're actually doing with yourself. You can affirm that you believe this and you can affirm that you're going to do this stuff. But until you actually get going with it, it's a very different story, isn't it? So, as a believer, we lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So, believer, individual you, spend more time reading the Bible. It's really, really simple. Strengthen your hands, knees, make some straight paths, read the Bible more. It's very, really, really simple. Pray more. People, I'm just so tired at the end of the day. I'll pray in the morning. I don't have time to pray. You know, ten minutes onto your day is not going to kill you, is it? Ten minutes communing with God is going to enrich your day, not sap the energy from your day. Read the Bible more, pray more, fellowship with other believers more. See these people other than Friday morning. Revolutionary idea. Be friends with these people around you. Not all of them. You're fine. You don't have to see everybody in the room during the week. It'd be a little bit difficult. But see some people, fellowship with believers outside of church time. Strengthen each other. So when you're going out and, and, and ministering to the not yet believers in your life, you've got the strength that comes from, and the sharpening that comes from being together to draw on. So read, read more, pray more, fellowship with the believers more, serve more, give more, seek more. We've had all the reasons in Hebrews why we should do this stuff, and now we've got to actually do some stuff. Otherwise, it just becomes head knowledge, doesn't it? We become like SpongeBob, massive head. We know lots of stuff. We can articulate all these points about why Jesus is so good, but we're not doing anything. We've got those tiny little T-Rex arms because we're not actually doing anything. <laughs> Sorry, I started out with SpongeBob and finished with a T-Rex, but you know what I'm saying? Big head. I suppose a T-Rex has got a big head. Tiny brain, big head, small arms, because we're not doing anything. Why, why do we do this? We read, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. 
This is not teaching you that if you don't do some Christian stuff, God's going to dislocate your elbows and whatnot. It, it means that what is spiritually weak in your life, you, it, that will be restored. That will be made bold and strong. So we're bold in ourselves. These are things that we do individually. We choose to read. We choose to pray. We choose to fellowship, seek, give, be, all that kind of stuff. We choose to do that. We're bold with what we are aware we invest our time and our talents and our treasures, and we're bold within this context. We come here to be boldened, you know what I mean, to, to be motivated to be bold. Then when we go out into the world and the communities that we're in, we're prepared, we're running, we're enduring, we're growing, we're being bold. So we need to be bold here within the lines and in the ways that God teaches and shows us how to be bold. So we're bold and we're looking out. We're looking out for everybody else here. So we be bold and we look out for everybody else here. We read in verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And again, we said that our preparation to grow, how do we strengthen those hands and the knees and make the straight paths? We said that the context for all that is church, a gathered, assembled, this, this, this group of people, where we go to grow is church. And this idea has come up again and again and again in Hebrews. And it's here again too, that the Hebrews must be part of a Christ-centered fellowship of people. So that was true for them 2,000 years ago. And it is absolutely true for you and for me right now. Amen? We've, I mean, this is kind of preaching to the choir because you're all here, obviously. Uh, but we've, we've just got to be a part of, an active part of, a Christ-centered fellowship. And I mean, a, I mean, really a part of it. Adding to it, helping it to multiply. And we see here in verse 15, we read these three words, see to it. And this carries the meaning that everybody here is looking out for everybody else here. So if you're not here, and I mean church here, this is not some weird possessive, it's our fellowship or you're going to hell thing. Here being the context of a church, here is where we, everybody's looking out for everybody else. We see to it, we're bold in our faith and we see to it that everybody's looking out for everybody else. Now, if you're just kind of coming and going and coming a little bit late, leaving a little bit early, it's going to be really difficult for people to see to it that you're all right. And it's going to be nearly impossible for you to see to it that other people are doing all right, isn't it? Because you're coming late, you're leaving early, you're kind of flirting with the idea of, yeah, I'm going to go to church. I talked to some people this week. No, I'm just too nervous, can't do it. You've kind of flirted with this idea of really being a part of it. But we read, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no one comes short of the grace of God. Don't get me wrong, people here aren't going to decide whether you get it or not, but they're going to challenge you and help you and then prepare you to run and endure and grow so you're in the best possible place to be receiving it. So we take it, how, how do we do this? And we take it upon ourselves to get to know more people. So simple. I'm going to challenge everybody. Before you leave, meet somebody new. If you're new, that's going to be so easy. Just out of one person. If you've been here for 50 years, that might be more difficult because you might know everybody. But before you leave, meet somebody new. 
talk to somebody that you don't normally talk to. Amen? Are we going to do it? We will. We're going to see to it that everybody here is on the receiving end of the grace of God. We're going to check how are we all doing. We're all looking out for each other. We're also bold in our faith and we see to it. We make sure that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, everybody is tarred with that bad brush. And again, we can't do this if we're not getting to know each other. Make sure that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. If you don't know, if you're not involved, if you don't talk to people, you're not going to know if they're a little bitty, itty bitty root of bitterness. That you come alongside them, you're making sure they're not falling short of the grace of God, and that root of bitterness is just gone. Are you with me? We can't do this if we're not looking out for each other, because everybody's looking out for everybody else. We also see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Thinking back to Genesis 27. Super duper dysfunctional family. We've talked about that a few times before. Nobody comes out of that looking good. Dad is duped. Mom's in on the act. One boy is just really rash and you know wants to trade his birthright for a bowl of soup, and the other one just is dressing up as his brother. It's just nobody comes out of that looking good. But uh, again, we see to it we're bold. We see to it that nobody is sexually immoral or unholy. Can't do that if we don't know people. Because everybody's going to give you that Friday face, aren't they? And then the surface level, how you doing? Very well, thank you. If they don't know your name, they're going to say, very well, thank you, brother. Or very well, thank you, sister. We can't see to it that nobody's sexually immoral or unholy like Esau if we're not involved in each other's lives. Amen? Please talk to somebody afterwards if you don't know. Let's make sure none of us are falling short of the grace of God. Unholy here, really interesting word. You might think it's an interesting word. It means the opposite of holy. I know, that's shocking and the news. Unholy means something that is not holy. Holy means something that's different, something that's set apart, something that's not like everything around it. And that's this, isn't it? The called out group of people known as a church that get together to affirm each other's faith to worship God and to, to soak in his word, that's a church unholy means something or somebody that is open to everything not connected to any kind of faith and it comes from two Latin words that are squashed together and it carries this idea that outside of a temple would just be a big open space and everybody can go there Kind of like the car park outside. People can just come and go. And there's nothing special about the car park. There's nothing special about the big area of land outside the temple. But, in contrast to that big open area where anybody can go, is the temple. Where those who believe and those who want to seek the Lord go. So you come from, you put it in our context, that's the car park. You can just walk in out there and find nobody really cares too much. You just smile and say hi to the guard. You can just walk into the car park. But when you come inside, you're in this space, and we become this space. The, the church becomes this space. There's something holy and separate about this, isn't there? Wow. There is something holy and separate and called out of the world about our gathering, is there not? Yes. Yes, thank you. So, for you and me then, the unholy life, it looks like not having a special place in your life for Jesus, for your faith. That makes you profane. 
That makes you unholy, open to everything. There's no special sacred place in your life for your faith. And again, we don't, we, we're never really going to know what's going on in people's hearts, do we? To a degree, uh, the coming alongside people is going to be based on, on how things look and their outward appearance. But we know that God looks beyond that and sees the heart. But do, do you then, do you have a, that sacred space? Is the, 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 the wasteland outside the temple, do you have that sacred place in your life for Jesus, for your faith? Charles Spurgeon said about unholy Christians, something that we don't want to be. He said, unholy Christians, people with no place, no special, sacred, highest honor place in the life of Jesus. He said, unholy Christians of the plague of the church. There are spots in our feast of charity. They're like hidden rocks. They're the terror of navigators. It's hard to stay away from them because we just don't know. It's hard to stay away from them. There's no telling what problems they are going to cause. Now, if those things, that kind of person starts to emerge here, we, that's where we come alongside each other, and we, as we read, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And again, we can't do that if we're not being bold in our faith and looking out for one another. Amen? So we're going to be bold, we're going to look out for everybody, we're going to see to it that everybody is looking out for everybody else. That's the first thing that we're bold in doing. The second thing that we're bold in doing is we're going to be bold and we're going to look past the past. Uh, Let's read again verses 18 to 21. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I trembled with fear. As we get to verse 18 then, we, there's this huge contrast for the Hebrews between how they were living, the Mount Sinai kind of way, the rules, regulations, laws, and the Mount Zion way. The old and the new. And these people were right on the cusp, right on the transition between old and new. And that was where they were, right between old covenant and new covenant. So it's a huge contrast for them here. And they're being told, and the point for them is to be, to be bold enough to look past your past. Uh, if you've got a Bible with me, with me, I'm going to do it again. I've got a Bible. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, let's go back to Exodus second book of the Bible. So if you open your Bibles right at the beginning, there'll be Genesis, and the book after that, let's go to Exodus. The story of God's people exiting Egypt. So we'll go to Exodus chapter 19, and we want to look uh, at verses 10 to 25. I'm not going to read it, it's going to give you a an overview, a summary of it, but we're in Exodus 19, verses 10 to 25, explains what it was like when Israel came to Mount Sinai. We'll go for a summary. So the mountain was fenced off, and you cross that line, you cross that fence, and it's death, 
they were, as a people, commanded to wash their clothes and abstain from sexual relations. You clean inside and out, so the thinking goes. Uh, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was a thick cloud, there was a trumpet, there's smoke, and there's earthquakes. And the trumpet gets louder and louder until Moses speaks and God himself answers. And God speaks to his people from Mount Sinai, but warned them in every possible way, don't come, stay away, don't come near, don't come near me. And we read, lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. So this is not a particularly welcoming scene, is it? There's all that stuff going on. Smoke, earthquakes, thunder, lightning, cloud, trumpets, it's so loud. And then the message comes to stay back. Here's God, but you need to stay well back. If you come any closer, you're probably going to die. You are going to die. And it's, it's so, as we read in Hebrews, uh, it's so, such an epically powerful moment that even Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. And the Bible tends to lean on understatement to try and keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, and uh, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. You know, it's probably he's the most scared he has ever been in his life. And all this, uh, all this fear, all this physical stuff, the trumpets, the thunder, the lightning, the mountains, the fire, all that kind of stuff, all the physical stuff, all the fear, didn't succeed in making them holier, did it? It didn't succeed in bringing them to where they wanted to be, where they needed to be. It didn't change the hearts of God's people, did it? All this scary stuff, all this physical stuff. And a few weeks later, they melted down some stuff, made a golden calf and worshipped it. And said, this, this is what brought us out of Egypt. Because people are just so fickle, aren't they? There's this wonderful demonstration of God's sovereignty and power and might and awe. And they're so scared. And a few weeks later, they're melting down some stuff to form a, a god of their own hands to worship their own stuff. So back in Hebrews then, the Hebrews are being reminded of their heritage because this is, you know, they are uh, Jews come Christians. They're, they're, they're Hebrew. And they're being reminded of their heritage and being told, look, you need to boldly look past your past. Boldly break away from your past. Because look where it got you. It didn't really get you anywhere, did it? And it certainly didn't get you where it promised to get you. And for you, for me, for us, maybe, maybe your past promised you so much. Maybe how you were doing things promised so much for you. Maybe it promised financial prosperity. If I stick with this, I'm going to make this much money, and I'll be great. Maybe it promised you career success. Uh, maybe it promised you a promotion in rank. Maybe it promised you the life that you really promised you earthly pleasures in abundance. You know, the, like when you've got so much disposable income, you've got so much money that you've got a TV that's far too big for your house. That kind of earthly stuff, you know. <coughs> Excuse me. Disposable income. Maybe your um, maybe the life that you were living your your past promised this really secure future. If I stick with this and do this, then in the future I will be able to do this. You know, like I'll take this job in Bahrain. 
and I'll stay for a year or two and I'll make X amount of money, then I can leave and do all this stuff. And maybe it promised you a better life, a life that you would just love each and every day, but without knowing each and every one of you intimately, I'm going to have an educated guess and say that it didn't deliver the day. The life that you were living for yourself, with yourself, loving yourself, self, 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 the life that you were living out whatever it promised you out of all that stuff or more, the life that you were living, it didn't deliver the day. It didn't lead you to where you thought it was going to lead you. Maybe it did. Maybe it did for a little time. Maybe there was a little period in your life, maybe in a season in your life where, you know, things couldn't have been going any better for you on the surface. Got a good job, got a nice place to live, drive a nice car, got enough money to buy a TV that's too big for your house, go to the supermarket, and care what you buy, got so much money. Maybe there was a period of season, maybe you're in that season, it's going to make you really uncomfortable. That season's going to end. The promises that this kind of self and the life that we choose to live for, they're never, ever, they're never, they're never going to deliver. Those promises are just, it's like smoke. They're going to disappear, you're going to see through it. And it feels really hollow. We've been there. You take far too much comfort and security from the job that you've got and the money you put in the bank. And then something happens that seems quite innocuous. And then all of a sudden you're just like, well, Where's that money gone? Don't feel very secure now. Job have told me to leave. I'm not wanted anymore. Where's the, where's you know where's where's that security now? So maybe you've been through that and you're going to agree with me. Maybe you're going through that and it is going to get better. Maybe you're about to go through that. And again, that's why we need to be bold and make sure that everybody's looking out for everybody else because people have been through that and they can help the people that are going through that who can then help the people that are about to go through that. You with me? But if we're not involved in each other's lives, if we're not being bold and looking out for each other, it's not going to happen, is it? So, yeah, and if you've not, if you've not come to that point, I'm really sorry to tell you, is that point's coming. If you're relying too much on the, the surface level, earthly stuff, that is going to let you down. But, when we really look and we really see the life that God wants you to live, when we, uh, the, when we read in the Bible that when we taste and see that the Lord is good, when we see what Jesus offers as the Hebrews have been shown here, and we've been shown through uh, working through Hebrews, we need to boldly look past our past. They need to look past the, the, the religious, ritualistic rules and ranks kind of thing. And they need to boldly break away from that. We need to be bold as well and see our past for what it was. See that it, it brought you to a point where you realise that his way is better than your way. When all the stuff that you hear Christians talking about is actually true. They're not just a big, strange bunch of brainwashed people that get together every week for a brainwashing. When you see that this stuff is actually true and real, we do, we're, we're bold, we're empowered to, to just look, past, leave the past in the past. Don't dwell on it. We boldly break away from the past. For here, for the Hebrews, 
bold enough to look past the rules and the regs and the, the fact that it didn't get you anywhere. Let's not dwell on that anymore. They, look, they had all this stuff. It didn't deliver on a promise. And it's the same for us. We boldly look past the past. And as we move on, we boldly look towards, in verses 22 to 24, we boldly look to a better word. So read with me again, verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, as we get into verse 22, this is a huge contrast with verse 18. So verse 18, it's all physical and it's all the stuff that was happening there. Trumpets, mountains, earthquakes, smoke. We get to verse 22. And we see, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. We're in a very different place to the Hebrews, aren't we? Our relationship with God is not modelled after uh, Israel's experience on Mount Sinai, as it was for, for the Hebrews. They've, they've grown up in, in this, they've been taught in this, they've lived their life in this, the first kind of 77% of what, of what we carry is the Bible. That is how they think about relating to God and approaching God. And the contrast here then between Mount Sinai, where the law came down, and Mount Zion, it's huge. A massive, massive contrast for the Hebrews and for us as well. Mount Zion, sorry, Mount Sinai, get these the right way around. The place where the rules and the law came down. Mount Zion, Jerusalem, uh, the place where Jesus died and God's grace was demonstrated towards you like never, ever, 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 ever before. Where his forgiveness came down, so to speak. Uh, his mercy, his grace, his love came down like never before. So for the Hebrews, it's a massive contrast. You're not coming to the physical. You're not coming to Mount Sinai. Now you're coming to Mount Zion. And before, it was all about earning and deserving. And now it's all about believing and receiving. Amen? Before, for the Hebrews, it was about earning and deserving. They're never going to earn enough. They're never going to deserve anything. But now it's about believing and receiving. So we need to be bold and we look to this better word. We couldn't boldly, the Hebrews, you can't boldly go to Mount Sinai, can you? Because we read that, uh, that death is waiting there. You come any closer, you cross this line that we've established cross that line and it's death. We can't boldly go there, but we can go boldly to Mount Zion. So, for you, for me, we've got something far better than being a spectator in the temple. We are now a Christian in church. Amen? There's some that were not spectators in a temple, watching people go through the, the rituals and the, or the rites and all that kind of stuff. We're now a Christian in church. So we're being equipped and we're equipping others. We are being served by others and we are serving other people too. You're now not a consumer in the temple. You're not a consumer 
of the religious rites and rituals performed by a few people from a certain family. You're now not a consumer, you're now a contributor or a contributor. That's why, again, we need to be bold, we need to look out for everybody else, because we're not in the temple where it was the job of one guy to do the stuff. And if we watch it and we, we go along with it and we're part of the collective, then that's fine. Now it's an individual thing. We're not a, a consumer of the, the work that's been done. We're now a contributor to the work that is going on. Amen? Amen. We'll read again. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels, to the assembly of the firstborn. Now forgive me if you sound like a broken record. The assembly of the firstborn is church. It's getting together as us to do stuff as us. The assembly literally means a congregation, the church. So you've left all that stuff behind. You've now come to gather with others who believe and affirm the same stuff. The Hebrews have been told again and again and again that this is so important for your life. Being with others is so important for your life. We've now got something better than not being allowed into God's presence. There's the mountain, there's the fence, there's the line. Don't cross this line. We've got something so much better than that. In that we've come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. We have come to God, we read here. We've come to God. We've come to the spirit of the righteous made perfect. That's the witness. That's the evidence of all these people we had faith in God, which is really what it's all about. It's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. So we've come to this now. And verse 24, we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' mediator is the one who joins the two parties together. He is the way for us to, 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 be, to be with God. There are two different ways to think about the blood of Abel. Uh, we don't know for sure, but both make very good points. Uh, the first way of thinking about it is the blood of Abel talks about the blood of the sacrifice that he made. Back in Genesis, the first recorded sacrifice from man to God in the Bible. And this, the, therefore, with this thinking, the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of animal sacrifice because it's far more sufficient. It's far more supreme. And it's far more lasting. That's one way to think about it. The other way to think about it is that the blood of Abel refers back to when he was murdered. And we read in Genesis that uh, his blood cried out for uh, redemption. And, and you know, you go to avenge. His blood's crying out for aven avenging. Avenging? Yeah, avenging. Uh, so it's either the blood of the sacrifice that he made or it's his own blood that called out for redemption, for avenging. But the blood of Jesus shed for you speaks of redemption and forgiveness and salvation. So whichever way we look at that, they're both pretty good. And they both make sense. So we need to be bold in our faith and look to this better word. That's what we're talking about. The better word. This supreme, sufficient sacrifice to redemption, to forgiveness, to acceptance, to transformation, to salvation. There's a, there's a few words there. But be bold and we look to uh, these better words. We're talking about the better word being that spoken 
by Jesus. The lesson is really plain. The lesson is really clear. We shouldn't come to Mount Zion. We shouldn't try and approach Jesus as if we are coming to Mount Sinai. Let me say that again because there's two mountains. They both start with a similar sound. We shouldn't come to Mount Zion. We shouldn't come to Jesus as if we are approaching Mount Sinai. Kind of nervously, kind of tentatively, where there's this perceived line, like, I can't get so, I can't get too close to him, because it might not go very well. We stop, we can see what's going on, kind of see what's going on, but we're not being bold enough to really go and get involved, to get stuck in and to get amongst it. We, We shouldn't come to Jesus as if he is Mount Sinai, where we can't get too close. We need to kind of back off a little bit. Are you with me? Nobody's going nobody's gonna to take you there. So we need to be bold and put away our hesitation. Be encouraged by what he says, that now that access is open, now the way is open. Be bold, be encouraged, and get bold in coming to God. Approach him. Read his word, pray, fellowship with his people. Again, be bold, look out for his people. Be bold and be part of his people. Be bold and look past the past where you weren't part of it. Don't dwell on that. In the here and now, be bold in coming to God. Nobody's going to take you there then. That's why we're looking out for each other, to make sure that we don't miss out on the grace of God. So if we're involved in each other's lives, and we're kind of heading towards Mount Zion together, and you can see somebody a few steps behind, you bring them along. Nobody's going to carry you and force you to go there, but that's why we're involved in each other's lives, so we're boldly looking out for each other. And it is, it's each other, and it's every single one of us. 1 Peter 2 talks about us believers as a kingdom of priests, as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, and that means each and every one of us, all of us, individually, it doesn't matter who, you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. You don't need to be part of a special priestly family that you know that do all the work, and then everybody else benefits from the work being done by the one. But what this doesn't mean is what this doesn't mean is we're all priests in the role of a priest. It means that we're all priests, and that we've got the access to God that the priest had. It doesn't mean we're all priests in role in function. We're reading the word about the church being like a body. Some people are the arms, some people are the legs, some people are the toenails. Sorry. The toenails are important as well. You might follow if the toenails are not there. But we don't all have the role of a priest. We've all got the access of a priest. Each and every one of us individually can boldly go to the throne of God. We've read that in Hebrews. So, what do we do with our boldness, with the faith? that is a faith filled with a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. What do we do with this boldness? Well, first, we bring our boldness here. First, 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 we bring it here. The context of each other to church. It's for others. You are bold for others. To edify others, to equip others, to reach others. So you're bold and we really get involved here. We boldly look out for one another. Everyone looks out for everybody else. Amen? Don't leave without talking to somebody that you don't know. 
you, promise, 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 you will be looked after when you are actively part of, of, of this. You will be looked after, but you will be looked out for when you are an active part of this. And you can only look after others when you are actively a part of this. So we boldly look out for each other. We boldly look past the past. We don't dwell on it with rose-tinted glasses and think, oh, was such a good season of my life. We see it for what it was. It was an attractive but empty promise that promised you a lot of stuff, that promised you a way of living that just didn't deliver. And again, I'm really sorry to tell you, if you're in that season, it's not going to last. It's an attractive but an empty promise that's never going to deliver on the life that you were made to live. So we need to boldly look past the past, boldly break away from it, don't carry it like a big dead weight. I read a, a story about Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great old uh, English preacher, and he said that he met with somebody who uh, was kind of really down in the dumps uh, about the former life that he had lived. And he and uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones had spent some time together and prayed together and worked out and, and looked through the Word and said, look, your former life doesn't stop you living the, the, the Christian life that you, you want to live now forward. And it, this guy just couldn't let it go. He couldn't let go the, 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 the past. He couldn't boldly break away from it. He couldn't separate. Look, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. Now I see. So we're going to turn away from that. We're going to boldly leave that in the past and focus on walking forward. So we boldly break away from the past. We leave the past in the past and we boldly look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, whose blood speaks a better word, all those words, forgiveness, reconciliation, acceptance, salvation. And we boldly live the life that we were made to, that we were redeemed with such a high path, that we were redeemed to live and that we were just destined to live. So as we talked about horses being so bold and so powerful and so able to do some stuff, but when it's properly channeled, the stuff that they can do is so much more impactful and it benefits those around them so much more when their boldness is channeled and used properly. It's the same for us. We need to be bold enough to leave behind, look past the past, look to this new this so much better word of Jesus. Just be bold enough to admit, you know what, I can run around like a wild horse doing my thing, but it's never going to get me where I want to go. I can't do this by myself. We need to be bold enough to repent, to come to him, ask for forgiveness, and be bold enough to submit your life to his lordship, and be bold enough to follow him wherever he leads you. So really, really simply, we need to take our faith and be bold with it. Amen.